Creating a brand sounds pretty easy, right? Pick out some colors, select fonts, and have someone design a logo with your name in it. While you can take a simple approach to your branding, the process of a professional creating a brand is anything but simple. Teak specializes in taking a mere concept and transforming it into a grouping of information that ends up creating the entire interpretation of your company. We're here today with branding specialist and our creative director, Amandalyn Webb. She's going to share about the specific components that make up what we know as a quote unquote brand kit and the design principles that are her guiding light throughout the design process. If you listen to our other podcasts on branding, you know that I was a total novice when it came to understanding the aesthetic appeal of a brand. I knew what I liked, but I didn't know why. So first off, before we jump in, if you have not listened to the other podcasts, please hop over and listen to episodes 11 and 12 on defining your client and creating a brand that matches that target audience. Hey, it's your travel industry best friends, Robin and Jen from Teak. We're obsessed with practically anything that touches your business and allows you to scale to the level of success that you've always dreamt of. With Robin's background in sales and marketing and Jennifer's experience as a management level HR professional, we grew a small itinerary creation company into a multi-million dollar travel agency. And now we aim to help others skip the hard stuff and get right to the big wins. We're probably each recording this holding a glass of wine. So pour one up with us, grab a seat, and join us to talk all things travel and business. The number one goal of quote unquote good branding is to create a brand that feels authentic and comfortable while still portraying what you want out of your business. Executing marketing is believable when it's authentic. So we always, when I was in the design space, at least I was working with clients and they had this personality, whether it was big and bold and fun and loud or on the opposite end, they were a little bit more shy or they were a little bit more formal in how they spoke and how they approached their business. And they wanted to reach these ideal clients who could be completely and totally different than them or super similar. And it was marrying those two things together in a way that both worked. Before you create a brand that's authentic to you, you also need to identify your target audience. And if your brand is going to represent you or multiple team members, that was another thing we just like really never thought of when we first launched Explore Toward Travel. Granted, Jen wasn't like Jennifer Jacob Travel Inc. or anything like that. So it was a little bit easier to tailor, but creating all the assets, organizing all the assets and really making sure that you have like brand guidelines in place for your team to take that brand consume it and like make it their own and then, you know, authentically and properly show up in that brand. It it just takes a whole lot of thought. It takes a lot of time. So one thing we tend to see is that entrepreneurs will start their company with themselves in mind. So they make a brand that just feels totally unique to them and their business. And when they get going and they find their place in the world and they decide that they do want to grow their team with ICs, it tends to feel a little bit too claustrophobic for agents underneath the brand. I think that's something that Amandalyn has helped most of our clients actually have come and they're like, it no longer feels like me or I have a team now and it just doesn't feel like a true agency brand. So that's something she does incredibly, incredibly well. To echo Robin's comment about a team, when Explorator started, I only considered my tastes. So that's what Robin's talking about when she says that claustrophobia is like, it felt like the team got bigger, but the brand stayed the same size. So we were like, 
a goldfish. <laughs> like we were outgrowing the bowl, I suppose. And it just, it, it came to light that my tastes were, maybe they were the tastes of my clients because you, you do attract what you're like in many ways. However, now I had to think, okay, well, does that represent XYZ on the team? Does that represent another team member on the team? And we had a range of 12 advisors at one time where you're having to think, is this helping them attract their ideal target audience? Or is it actually excluding someone's target audience? And while we've talked a lot about how you do want your brand to actually exclude a certain audience, when I had so many people under me, I didn't have the ability to create that exclusion as much. Someone that may be just starting out needed to use the brand and someone who had a very high level of clientele and an established book of business, they need to be able to use the brand. When I grew the team, the intention was that they were selling things that I was not. And I think a lot of people, when they actually grow their team, they start to think, okay, well, I don't want to sell Disney. I don't want to sell cruises. I don't want to sell the multi-leg FIT because they're not what I'm passionate about. And so you are bringing in people that are going to fill that gap for you, but your brand still has to allow them to sell those things. Amanda Lynn, can you talk us through these specific components of a brand kit? Of course. First and foremost, we have our logo. The main logo is kind of going to be the face of your brand, star of the show. It's probably what's going to be on your website and the header and on your business cards, that sort of thing. We have an alternate logo, so that's going to be a different take on that main logo, and oftentimes it's going to be a different shape than your main logo. Then we have the icon logo. It's going to be typographic, or it can be just a symbol. That's going to be used in really small applications where you need a smaller design. And then we have your type suite, your fonts. So it's going to be a collection of three to four, generally, fonts. And type suite also offers you some guidance on how to use those fonts. Lastly, you have your color palette. All color palettes are different. For our clients, they generally include six colors, some main ones, some alternative ones. And whenever you get your colors, you also get the hex codes, which are these little alphanumeric codes that tell a computer program how to generate a specific color in Canva or Photoshop, Illustrator, wherever you're creating. A lot of people who come to us will, they want to elevate their brand, right? And the first and foremost thing we see people get rid of is like over graphic elements. I think there's a huge shift in logos right now. And if you look on Pinterest or you're doing any sort of research on branding, you'll see that primarily what most people are doing nowadays is like a traditional font logo instead of all the whoop-de-woos and swoop-de-doos and all of those sort of things. And the reason I think that we're seeing so much of that, and Amanda, and please chime in because I know that you have thoughts on this as well, Because people are, they'll pay for a brand and they're like, well, I don't want you to just give me a font. And there's so much that goes into like personalizing certain fonts, especially for like logo fonts. But I think that there's a real beauty in simplifying your logo because you're able to extend the shelf life of it, right? Because when we get into things that are super trendy or they're, they're a little busier, I see that clients come back quicker wanting something different. Whereas going with your gut and like a main logo, that's like a simple font suite or like a a simple font, if you will, kind of like Teak. So for example, Teak's just Teak, 
just a font. <laughs> like It's nothing crazy. And every time I tried to do something crazy, I would always come back to the main font. Because again, for me, that shelf life needs to be there. I don't want to redo my brand every single year. Have I redone my brand every year? Sure have, but I'm not doing <laughs> that anymore. I promised my team I was done. However, if you stick to a main logo that's a little bit more simplified, that's when you can get creative with those alternate logos. A lot of people just... I don't know if they don't consider like the icon logo because the icon logo can be different. Our main logo is a pretty just basic sans serif font, but we have an alternate logo that's kind of a scripty font. So it looks like somebody wrote it. You can have like those different variations that will give your brand depth. And I think that's what like a complete brand kit does instead of just one main logo. That's where I, as like a past designer slash background designer now, really seen a lot of success for clients is when they they go almost the simplified main font, but then have those graphic elements incorporated on the back end through icons and alternates. I cannot agree more. It's all about shelf life. Like nobody wants to keep spending thousands of dollars on updating a brand. And 100%. I mean, that's the thing. Branding, I don't care if you've been in business for 20 years or if you're just starting. Branding is an investment. And it, it should be an investment, but I don't want to shell off thousands and thousands of dollars every year when I picked some trendy font. And now that logo that looked really cool last year looks super dated. Yeah. I think when anybody's asking us about like basic branding advice, my biggest advice is like less is more on your main logo. Mm-hmm. Always. You'll be shocked when you find a font that just really is like clean cut. It can be applied to everything. It can be applied to any type of trip. I agree. I think it's hard for people sometimes because they do want to incorporate all these fun colors and the graphic elements that they love. And we're not saying that you can't do that. But I think the smart way to do that is to incorporate it in an alternate logo and an icon logo, drawing colors through your imagery and that sort of thing, rather than trying to cram too much stuff into that main logo. So to break this down for someone who maybe is like, okay, I don't, I don't know the difference between the logo variations that you're talking about. I just pulled up three high designer websites because I wanted to equate it to something. This is really interesting. This is like a case study we're doing right here, but Chanel, Louis Vuitton, and Fendi, all black sans serif logo, just the word. And then the, would you call it the sub logo or an icon with the double C's and the L intermixed with the V and then the F's? What would, what would you categorize those as? I would categorize that as an icon logo. I would too. Okay. Yeah. I think like equating it to a familiar brand too is really helpful. And it's like people think, no, I want this graphic logo, but then they say they want a really high luxury experience. And if you're like, okay, if you want a luxury experience, look at luxury brands versus kind of picturing travel in your mind, because I don't look at Louis Vuitton's logo and think that's a bag. I know it because of their brand identity that they've created, but their actual logo itself doesn't have to tell me what they sell. Correct. People get hung up on their one aspect of their logo. And I'm like, take a step back and look at it from like a real big picture of you. The fact that imagery can drastically change how your brand comes across is huge. So a lot of times people will hold themselves back in the design process because they're like, gosh, my main logo isn't perfect. And it's like, that's okay. We do want it to be perfect. However, will we achieve the result you're looking for through imagery, through our color palette, through our fonts that we choose? And I think it just, it makes such a big difference overall. You know what I mean? So 100%. Well, and that's the thing. I think all of those things play in together. Like you said, Rob, and the imagery and the color palette and all of these things. So you don't have to achieve every single thing just through this 
typographic logo because it's going to be hard to achieve every single thing or convey everything that you're trying to convey through the simple sans serif Chanel logo. Oh, it's impossible. And then you overthink everything. If you're coming into a design project at any point, trust Amanda Lynn, trust yourself. Not enough people trust themselves with those branding decisions as well, I think. But it's, it's so, so important. I agree with that as well. So many times I work with clients and it's not that it's not good to check with your people and let them put eyes on it. But I think oftentimes you need to go with your gut, like you said, Robin. And also, you know, your business best, you know, your ideal client and your audience best. So like your cousin or your husband or your best friend or your son isn't necessarily going to have the same pulse on your business that you do. So I feel like sometimes it can get a little, the waters can get a little muddied when you start getting too many opinions. We always ask the people that are closest to us and the people that are closest to us are not our clients most of the time. So it's like, not that you're going to go out and be like, Hey, Mrs. Smith, you're my best client. Do you like this type suite? But you don't want to say to a family member who doesn't have anything in common with your ideal clientele, do you like this? And then take to heart if they say no. And that's not to say no. like ignore people's emotions. I'm not saying I'm not saying that, but I'm I'm saying like you you want to make sure that you're asking people or trusting your gut is really what it boils down to. Trusting your gut and keeping that target audience in mind, not asking people and doing this group think that we hate when clients do as travel advisors. We're like, no, I don't want you to post on Facebook and ask everyone an opinion about this itinerary. Do you like that as a travel advisor? No. So would you like that for your brand? Probably not. So I think there are always a lot of parallels in any service industry. And we sometimes forget that we do the (laughs) same thing to (laughs) our service provider that we don't want to be done to us. And this is one of those things. Your branding should be reflective of you and your target audience in an authentic way. Have you ever wished for a safe space to ask anything to other travel advisors? What if that same safe space had a digital resource library with editable downloads that could be utilized to make your workflow more efficient? Or if that same space had a monthly keynote speaker that could share best business practices? And then what if there were system-specific mini trainings that could help you sell more, faster, and at a higher price point? What could be better? Let us tell you if that same safe space offered destination masterclasses and fam opportunities. We're talking about Niche Premium. Niche by Teak is an online community that is specifically for travel advisors to network and grow their business within a supportive and uplifting environment. To read more about the perks of membership, head on over to our website or look at the link in the show notes. We deviated from the icon and alternate logo. And I wanted to bring it back to that because There can be a lot of confusion about what those would be used for or what those are. So Amanda Lynn, can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, of course. Like Robin had touched on, those alternate alternate and icon logos are going to be a really great avenue for us to get a little more adventurous, including imagery and things like that. Also, an alternate logo is going to be great just in different applications because your main logo is likely going to be like a certain shape. I know it's not necessarily like your logo is going to be in a circle, but maybe your main logo is a little taller. So it physically is just not going to fit well in certain applications or in order to make it fit, you're going to have to shrink it down so small. 
that it's not legible anymore. So if you're going to have a taller main logo, maybe you want a longer alternate logo, just so you'll have something that can fit better in different applications. And then the same can be true for an icon logo. You're going to need a favicon, for example, the little icon that goes on your browser tab. Obviously, that needs to be a tiny little symbol. So yeah, anytime you need something, maybe on like the footer of your website is another example of where an icon logo would be great. Just reading an abbreviated, fun little version of your logo. I always like that, what you said. Like if it's a vertical style logo, I like the alternate to be horizontal. Because it is, it's hard to fit. You have to fit things everywhere. And I don't think people think about that necessarily sometimes, like when you're like looking at different logos and like working through a branding process. But it's something that I always try to urge clients to keep in mind because you do run into that quite a bit. We're having to put our logos on so many different platforms and sites and, and different things. Something really and important to keep in mind. When you like start to notice a brand on their website, Anthropology has one logo. However, when they're on their app or on their email list, it's like a very font specific. It's like a scripty airbrushy font. So it's like, I start to see all these different logos and I'm like, okay, that one's definitely used for email marketing. Like that one's definitely for social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think that's when you really get the whole like the grasp of how many logos people have in their arsenal. Well, think about also like, obviously I have a million tabs open at all times, but your logo that's a rectangle isn't going to fit in that icon space. And same with an Instagram profile circle and your Facebook preview image. All of those things actually do need a consolidated and abbreviated logo type. And it's better if it's an icon because then it is a zoomed in version versus you're trying to fit your whole logo in there. It's going to be so hard to read because you've made it so far away. Thinking about places like that. And Amanda Lynn just made stickers for Teak Week. She, spoiler alert, made the most beautiful logo for Teak Week. And that's one of the stickers as well, but it is a more ornate version. And then we have a simplified version. So having different variations just adds a little bit of fun, I would say into the brand. It's just fun. Like it gives you, you're never stuck with like a brand. You know what I mean? Cause that's when you get, that's when you feel claustrophobic. That's when you like throw the whole baby out with the bathwater or whatever, because you want to start from square one. Cause you only have three logos and you're like, none of them are working, but maybe just added like one or two in it'd be fine. And you wouldn't have to, you know, invest so much money in the whole redoing of the things. Okay. So I was voice texting with an advisor yesterday She is handling one of my past clients and they're doing a castle rent out for a 50th birthday. So we were brainstorming like, okay, what would be some cool things that you could surprise them with? Like surprise and delight. They're doing this large investment with you. Actually, the castle pricing came in under budget, which is wild. And it gave a lot of room to mark up. And I was like, what if you were to create a logo for the weekend? You could do something so cool with a castle and Ireland and this concept and brand the whole weekend, kind of like how people love that. Right. And I was like, what if, you know, the women got a wool scarf when they got there and it had the logo of the weekend on the corner in the small place. And then the guys got a bottle of the whiskey and it had the logo on it. Like, how cool would it be if you have these high-end events to create branding specifically for these sub-events that you have? I just had to mention that because I think it would be a really cool thing if someone has the audience for it. 
And what a way to surprise your client by providing the documents with that. And then when they get in their room, they've got this itinerary that's branded with these gifts. And it, I think it would just elevate the whole experience. That is so freaking cool. But it truly is. It's all about the experience. It all adds to the experience at the end of the day. 100%. Those like luxury touch points are everything. All right. One thing that I've shared that happened with me when I was first, well, not first designing a website, but designing my second website when I was the owner of Explorator Travel was I all of a sudden was working with a website designer and she's like, how do you feel about these fonts? And I was like, great. And I just assumed that was the responsibility of the website designer to pick a font, not the responsibility of me or a professional to create a brand kit. When she asked about my brand kit, I was like, here's my logo. So I want to talk a little bit about fonts because I find them incredibly intriguing and I get lost in the myriad of opportunities that exist with fonts. And unfortunately, I'm subscribed to this newsletter that like alerts me anytime that new fonts are released. And it's just like a rabbit hole that I go down for way too long. Amanda Lynn, can you talk us through some basic principles and guidelines when you're looking at fonts and how you combine them, as well as how many are okay to have in your brand kit? Of course. I'm like you. I geek out on fonts. It's a problem. I could go down a rabbit hole and spend days just looking at them. There's so many. So when I'm building a brand and you know selecting different fonts for a type suite, I generally stick to three to four. One for heading, one for subheadings, one for body copy. And then sometimes if it's appropriate, an accent font, that's kind of just a little extra. And when I'm looking at fonts, I like to create a little contrast. So looking for different fonts, but fonts that still flow together and visually match up in some way. So I don't know, maybe I'll find a sans serif font that's really great with a serif font. So maybe you'll have the serif font as the heading and then a really clean sans serif as the subheading or maybe a bolder font that has a lighter weight font with it for contrast. I think that creates a lot of like visual interest. And we kind of touched on this before, but simplicity is key. These decorative, crazy fonts just are not it, in my opinion. I love them and they can be fun. Don't get me wrong. But again, trends fade. They're trendy and trends fade. I like to approach design in a way what you were walking away with is going to be really timeless. And I think that typography selection is such a huge component in that. Type hierarchy is another thing to keep in mind when we're selecting fonts and just utilizing our fonts. Just by nature, our eyes, when we look at a page, we're going to look at the largest thing first and then go in descending order. And then the last point, and this is, in my opinion, the most important thing to keep in mind is just doing so consistently. Your heading font is always going to be used for headings. It's never going to be used for like a paragraph on your website. And vice versa. Yeah, you should definitely have rules with your fonts. And something people are like, sans serif, serif, what is all of this? Serif fonts, I always say are the ones that wear a little hat. So they're like your Times New Romans. They have like the little like flare. The out. tails. Yeah, yeah. The little tails. And then your sans serif are more of like your aerials. So they're like very plain Jane. Teak's logo, our main logo is a sans serif. And then our main, when you come onto our homepage, the main letters you see are a serif font. Fonts are really fun. Fonts are super cool. I think that fonts transform your brand way more than logos do any day. Like if you're just on your fence, on the fence about your logo, touch your fonts and your colors before you touch your entire brand. 
And the fun thing about fonts is like you get a different feel from a font when you adjust something as small as the spacing. Like when you take, it's called kerning, but the space between the letters, our subheading, we use Roboto, just giving you all the secrets. It is all uppercase and there's space like 120 or something like that. That's what I put in Canva every single time. Mm -hmm. But it's always that space between them. So it gives them like a little room to breathe. And then if you put them closer together, it looks more, hey, look at me. But spacing them out just makes them feel just a little bit elevated in my opinion. So something is like simple as changing the kerning. And I only adjust kerning when I do all uppercase letters. <laughs> Don't adjust kerning if you're doing title font or body. Oh, you guys, I had some friends over last weekend and we ordered Thai food. And this restaurant, there are a lot of like really trendy restaurants here in LA. And like a lot of them are doing branding very well. I don't know. I'm from North Carolina. Restaurants do not give a crap no. about branding for the most part. That's just not what they think about. They're more You're focused on the food. food. You can't be good They're, at all. Exactly. They're focused on the food in the South. Whereas LA, it's such like an aesthetic place. So I won't say the business name, but it's very aesthetic. It's gorgeous. They've got this really cool sans serif bold font, but then this really like, I don't know, really professional, cool script font that like overlays it. It's awesome. So that script font's used as like an accent around everything. So we order takeout. It shows up. My friend goes out to get it. The the bag comes in. They've got a sticker, like a branded sticker on the bag closing it. There's that really cool script font. And the kerning is just massive in between the script font. And I was just, I can't believe they would do that. Who did they use as a designer? Like, who was like, yeah, this looks good. And I like had this whole moment. My friends are like, are you okay? <laughs> Amanda no, Lynn's I like, can't. I'm never ordering from there again. This is trash food. I'm so disgusted. <laughs> <laughs> it's I mean, crazy. Was- but like, seriously, we've done like branding things before and people will come back to us and they're like, I've never noticed spacing on fonts. And then you said it and I can't unsee it. And you're like, it you- ruins you. Yeah, you can't unsee it. You Especially like Instagram stories. I'll say this. So I had a script font and I'm like, so if you're thinking of kerning, think of if you're typing something with a script to it and it look like it looks like it's supposed to be cursive, right? But when you look at it, like the letters aren't connected, that's what kerning is. So like if you adjust the kerning for those letters to touch, now it looks like one swift motion of the pen, right? So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about kerning in the sense of a script. So now that I look at like an Instagram story and I'm like, it's supposed to be a script, but there's like a space in between each letter. I'm like, ah! I will very rarely come on this podcast and say like, don't do this in your business because I don't want to be canceled. And also I think there's something for everybody out there in terms of business, but like, don't but do that. Don't do it. You're going to get that advice from us every single time. I, I like... Robin told me about this when I first got the script font and I was like, I just thought I had to like live with how things came out when I typed them. Like, I just thought that's just how it was. Turns out in Canva, it's easy as pie. It's on a slider. You just adjust it down. If you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, I'm doing this and it's not intentional. It's not in my brand kit. Then yes, you can adjust it. And now, you know, as a travel advisor, we wear a lot of hats. Planner, budget manager, fortune teller, therapist, meteorologist. But the one thing that we don't have to be is a graphic designer. Why? Because Canva does that for us with hundreds, maybe even thousands of templates to choose from. Social media and marketing can be a breeze. Just upload images and your brand kit and the possibilities are endless. 
Think email header graphics, social media posts and reels, client welcome guides, business cards, and so much more. No more expensive outsourcing. Canva Pro has you covered. To get started looking like the professional that you are, use Teak's affiliate code in the show notes. But again, that is such an interesting comment you made about how aesthetics really play a role in LA. So if you're thinking about your certain demographic, if you're like trying to target New York and LA and those trendy cities, your visual identity is going to matter. If you're targeting millennials, if you're targeting these Gen Z through all millennials, it's going gonna, it's gonna to matter. I hadn't even really thought about that either. But yeah, especially in cities like LA and New York, people just pay more attention to that kind of thing. And I think it's honestly subconscious. If every brand around you is so like aesthetically pleasing, you're going to notice the odd sheep, the demographics and your target audience. That's going to dictate everything for you. Truly. Those small little things, they, they matter. It's so funny because you can always tell when there's something slightly off. Like I was just talking with Robin yesterday and she wants to create the brand Bible of like how our fonts are used, when they're used, what they're used for. And I was like, I need that because right now all I keep doing is like going to a Canva template of something that she has made and trying to like duplicate the format of that. I don't think that it's common knowledge to someone who doesn't have a, a designer background or any background in branding specifically is going to say like, oh, I can only use that font in this situation, or I can only use this accent color as an accent. I can't use it as a background on my homepage or something like there are just certain things that you, you would not know. And so if you've worked with anyone on branding, if you're working with us on branding, like ask the question, ask how to use it because you want to walk away being knowledgeable on how to use your brand, especially if you are going to outsource that sticker that Amanda Lynn was so perturbed by. They probably outsourced that, but they didn't articulate their brand guidelines. And now it made an impact on a consumer and she was frustrated by it, which like she obviously has a, a designing background, but <laughs> I'm like the one, the one, the only person who's ever ordered food from there. <laughs> she gasps and they're like, what is there hair in your food? And you're like, no, the kerning. <laughs> the kerning is a mess. <laughs> oh gosh. Let's go to colors. Cause this, I, I find color psychology fascinating. And Amanda Lynn, I feel like you could talk for 13 years on this. So talk to us about the hex codes. Yeah. So again, those the hex codes are going to be those alphanumeric codes that you enter into Canva or Photoshop, whatever, to compute into this color that's in your color palette. And selecting these colors is so much deeper than like, oh, I like orange. It's going to be my brand color and calling it a day. Each color has a feeling associated with it and, and different qualities associated with it. The study of this is color psychology. It's fascinating to me. I mean, you can really go down a rabbit hole with it. And it gives us the ability, I think, to really select colors that are going to align with our ideal clients and the emotions we're trying to evoke. So you can make really informed, deeper decisions about the colors that you're using versus just picking your favorites and calling it a day. And I mean, you can go online and find breakdowns of literally any color that you can imagine. They get super detailed. Red, for example, represents passion and urgency and action. So we often see it used by restaurant brands, fast food, because they're trying to like create that sense of urgency when you see their sign on that post out by the road. Blue is said to represent calm, trust, confidence, peace. We see blue used a lot in corporate settings, especially in the tech world. 
And then the last one I'll talk about is green. It's said to represent health and growth and safety. So we see it used in branding for like athletic or leisure companies and also banks. Color psychology, again, just gets extremely intricate and it's so interesting. I highly recommend doing some research into it. There's some really great charts that easily break down the colors and what they represent. Yeah, it's so interesting. I remember when, Jen, you were making your brand, you really wanted yeah, orange. It's It evokes a sense of adventure. And so I, as a focus of having experiential travelers, wanted that sense of adventure and I wanted people to feel like excited. I just want to say that like you mentioned red in my mind, I immediately went to Target and Chick-fil-A and I'm like, there are no two businesses that will make me whip my car around faster. <laughs> <laughs> McDonald's in and out. I mean, it's so funny, like green Ameritrade. Wachovia and First Union, they were green and blue. And now we have like Ally, which is like purple. I feel like they're trying to take this modern, funky approach to banking. And I don't know, it, it really does. Like when you think about color, you're like, oh, I didn't even think of that consciously, but it was the impression that was created within me. So Robin, talk about why Teak's colors are the way they are. Well, I've played around with it a lot too. We started with like a teal and that was honestly because I liked it. I found it on Pinterest and I thought it was really pretty. But when this last go around, we were redesigning our stuff. We wanted to really make the brand feel calming, organic. Like you're investing a lot of money with us. Obviously, I wanted it to feel elevated without being like, hi, we're a million dollars, get away from us type of elevation that sometimes can come with luxury. So I wanted it to be approachable luxury. So we use a lot of neutrals. You'll see that we use black a lot. It's like a charcoal. So it's off black and a lot of like just really pale grays. But green is our primary color that I really, really love. And we have a blue thrown in there as well. But I would say green is like in our primary color wheel, that charcoal and the green would be our primaries. And then the secondary colors would be the blues and like the paler greens and blues. I mean, it was exactly what I wanted. I wanted it to feel like growth. Like I liked the green growth, money, wealth, because that's what we want to give to your business. I think greens and stuff play really good with travel too. Yeah. The scenery of it can complement it really well. So, And like respecting the earth, like the sustainability approach. And I think of like going back to what Amanda Lynn said about blue, like we want to evoke a sense of trust with the people that are consuming and, and that we are servicing. So to me, I feel like you did a really good job of like finding that balance of a high-end feel, but bringing it down to this very relatable, accessible level with the mix of the neutral tones and the green. Because I do think you mentioned black and white, and I think of very high-end, almost inaccessible brands when I think of black and white. And, and the brands we were just mentioning earlier in the podcast were all black and white. Like their logo is just in black and then the background is white. And there is something really psychological about being like, hey, we are a sans serif font. We are black and white. We are simple, but we are also still inaccessible to you. Like, I don't, I don't know where that comes from, but I think it's really interesting. And I'd love to almost like hear more about hashing the psychology of that out. Something with us, which is different than a lot of other businesses, is that we design logos for businesses. So anything that I created in our color palette had to be pretty muted and pretty neutral so that when we do share other brands, because if you look at our portfolio, which you can do so on our Instagram in our guide section, we have our past branding projects. 
Amanda Lynn is incredible at designing the full spectrum. We have fun and funky to clean and editorial and super luxe. So I wanted to make sure that our brand, if we ever shared logo or shared a client's logo or their new branding project, it wouldn't feel like, what is that doing here? You're not going to get a brand that looks just like ours when you work with us. Like You're going to get a brand that looks and feels exactly like you. And I think that's really awesome. So that was something also just consciously. I just didn't want our brand to be so bleh with crazy color and crazy fonts and crazy this and crazy that, that like the clients didn't stand out as much. So that's important to think about as a travel designer too, because if you want to feature other destinations, I think of India and then Paris, like the two could not be more different when it comes to color palette. So if you do want one, a high end experience and two, you want the destinations to be able to speak for themselves, you're going to want to keep with the muted or a non competitive color, I guess is what I would say. Like, I do think that's why the black and the white work very well for these haute couture brands because they might have a line that's going to be neon green one year and then cerulean blue throw it back to devil wears prada you know another year and so by keeping that neutral stance in their logo they're allowed to they're allowing themselves not to compete with their logo itself yeah organic colors really mesh well across the board for any destination i don't care if you're going to new york or you're going to bali that's another reason why what are you booking is a questionnaire on our brand project questionnaire things because it matters like what kind of destinations you're showcasing. We want to create a brand where the colors feel aligned with the colors that you're actually of the destinations that you're selling. It's all a little minefield. Strategy, strategy. Whether you're starting out or looking to redefine your brand, we hope that learning more about the anatomy of a brand kit can help you create a defined and memorable brand identity. Thank you, Amanda Lynn, for being with us again today and recording at another amazing podcast on our favorite topic. If you guys have been loving the podcast, please feel free to share this with other travel advisors who you may also feel would love this podcast. We are in the baby stages of growing our podcast. So any reviews, shares, we greatly, greatly appreciate it. We're sending you a long distance cheers because you just finished another episode of Teak Talk. If you loved what you heard, hit subscribe and head over to the show notes for any resources and a summary of this episode. In the meantime, if you want more access to us, we are personally inviting you to join our Niche by Teak community, where we host live events, answer your questions, share destination masterclasses, and give you a front row seat to all the resources that we launch throughout the year. Plus, what's better than being surrounded by like-minded advisors that are hyping you up to succeed each day? We think nothing. Head over to www.teakhq.com backslash niche to join the community today.